what do they want at the center of their stack? Like what platform you're going to pick? I mean, you know, again, you know, there's Salesforce, there's HubSpot, you know, there's Marketo. Um, and I think one of the things you should look at when you are evaluating, you know, which platform to put at the center of your stack is what are the apps that are available in the ecosystem? Welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast, your weekly audio masterclass on converting leads to revenue. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot. Let's do this. My guest today is Scott Brinker. He is Vice President of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot and Editor at Chief Martech. He's also Program Chair of the Martech Conference and a graduate of the MIT Sloan School of Management. Scott, welcome to the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. It's great to be here with you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been trying to get you forever, so I'm glad to, we're finally on the phone here. And, you know, I've, I've had my eye on the, uh, the MarTech 5000 for some time now. Uh, but start, tell us a little bit about what is ChiefMarTech.com? Sure. So that was a blog I started, oh my goodness, 13 years ago uh, when I was first, uh, yeah, just really getting fascinated by this intermingling between the worlds of marketing and software and IT, which, yeah, 13 years ago still felt like a bit of a, a, a strange bedfellows, uh, you know, two very different disciplines. Um, uh, but yeah, obviously over the past decade or so, you know, have definitely, you know, converged and intertwined. Uh, so yeah, that that blog was a little bit of a uh, isolated nerdy study. And hey, do you do both software and marketing? And, you know, like 50 people would raise their hand. And so and so you did that you started that before uh, you worked at HubSpot? Yeah, so at the time I was uh, the co-founder of a SaaS company, uh, Ion Interactive, that made a SaaS platform for interactive content. Um, and actually before that, uh, was uh, running an agency that uh, did web development for largely Fortune 500 companies. Um, and so that was actually the inspiration for the blog is we get hired by the marketing departments of these very large companies. And then since I was running the technology team at the agency, it would be my job to go and talk to the IT department of the client because the marketing team and the IT team didn't actually talk to each other. Uh, it wasn't even that they were hostile to each other. It was just they were just living in such separate worlds and universes. And so those days of shuttle diplomacy between IT and marketing uh, and the anticipation that, yeah, this seems like these two folks have to come together uh, was the inspiration for the block. And now I guess, you know, they're, they're pretty much leading the charge, right? I mean, yeah, like you just take this for granted now. Well, obviously. <laughs> because when, Hub, when HubSpot first started selling in, I mean, you were, you were educating a bleeding edge market. Yeah, well, I mean, that was definitely HubSpot's claim to fame, uh, you know, was not only was it educating, like, essentially, like, yeah, a new generation of marketing, um, you know, it, uh, it it really found that, you know, pivot point, you know, where as people were going more and more to the internet to actually make decisions about who they wanted to do business with, you know, that whole shift from, like, you know, outbound sales and, you know, uh, you know, heavy advertising budgets to a model that, yeah, would essentially attract customers by publishing content that was useful to them that would show up in Google and social networks and things like that. 
yeah, again, that was kind of like a radical transformation pivot, uh, you know, in the marketing industry. And uh, HubSpot both caught that pivot, but also did a really good job of just leaning into educating marketers for how to take advantage of it. And so um, talk to us a little bit about what you do now at HubSpot. What is what is ecosystem partner development? Yeah, um, I mean, I kind of feel like I have one of the coolest jobs on the planet right now. Um, so HubSpot, uh, you know, has moved beyond just being a product company that, you know, builds and sells its own products to really truly being a platform uh, where we now have, oh my goodness, nearly 700 uh, app partners who have integrated their own SaaS applications or built custom apps for the HubSpot platform. Uh, you know, as you probably know, right, in, in, in marketing now, you know, uh, the explosion of all these marketing technologies was great in the sense that a lot of innovative capabilities were created. But the challenge that marketers faced was, okay, well, sure, I can buy all these specialist tools, but how do I get them to work together? And so my mission at HubSpot is very much to uh, help solve that problem by saying, okay, well, if HubSpot is at the center of your stack, we'd like to work with all those companies to have out-of-the-box integrations. So you don't have to think about that. You can just plug them in and they just work. Yeah. You know, it's the dirty little secret with integration is, um, you know, just how integrated are the two tools? I mean, some things may integrate, some things may not. And often, you know, even the vendors don't know what will work and what won't work until you put it together. And that's often, you know, a bit of a, a rude awakening after you've invested a lot of time, you know, trying to put things to two two and uh, two and two together, hoping it will lead to four, but often it leads to three. And, um, you know, you, you see, you know, when you see Zapier or middleware is the only option, you know, I'm usually terrified. Oh my God, don't get into that mess. Right. Cause that's going to be um, a hamster wheel. I'm never going to be able to get off. I'm going to have to manually maintain those integrations. So um, talk to us a little bit about how does a marketer who's looking to stack interoperable technology really get a sense of what, uh, what different uh, applications can do together before deploying a stack? Yeah, well, I think you've really put your finger on it, uh, you know, perfectly, which, you know, the fact that everything's in the cloud now and everything has an API, you know, when someone asks, does product A and product B, do they integrate? there's probably an answer somewhere that says, well, yeah, we technically could probably do that. Uh, but it makes a really big difference, you know, in just what is the nature of that integration? Like, are these things really, truly, have they been built to work together? And so, yeah, this is, you know, both one of the things I've been an advocate on my blog since before I joined HubSpot, but also obviously now what I do, uh, you know, at HubSpot is to very much encourage marketers to evaluate, first of all, what do they want at the center of their stack? Like what platform you're going to pick? I mean, you know, again, you know, there's Salesforce, there's HubSpot, you know, there's Marketo. Um, and I think one of the things you should look at when you are evaluating, you know, which platform to put at the center of your stack is what are the apps that are available in the ecosystem and how well do they align, you know, with your needs or their pricing or, you know, uh, those various dimensions. Because really what you want to get to is a place that, you know, once you've chosen the foundational platform of your stack, you know, then you're really able to evaluate those partners that have built 
crafted integrations to that specific platform. And it's, you know, it's more than just like, oh, are they passing data back and forth? It's like, you know, do they have mechanisms to tie into each other's workflow? Are you able to share elements of the UI from one product into the other? You know, I mean, really the things you do to make an integration seamless. Yeah, I mean, often you don't even know. Um, it's difficult to imagine a workflow before it exists. Um, you know, I um, in, my, in my new book, The, the Digital Pivot, uh, which is about digital marketing, I spent the first three chapters just talking about stacks, automation, funnels, and analytics, because I kind of feel like that's the foundation of digital marketing nowadays. I mean, if you don't start from there... What do you have to build on? What, do you, what are you wasting your time on social media if you don't have a path to purchase and a funnel and you can't measure and you can't optimize? Um, and one of the cool things about you know, chiefmartech.com is the fact that you've actually classified so many of these apps in this MarTech 5000. So talk to us a little bit about how that came to be and, and what it is. Yeah, it, uh, that was an interesting accident uh, of how that came about. Um, you know, so I said, you know, I started the blog because I was really interested in how technology talent was going to start to migrate into the marketing department. Uh, and so in 2011, I was giving a presentation to a group of CMOs and I was trying to convince them why they needed more technical talent in the marketing department, you know. And so I put together the first version of that MarTech landscape. At the time, I think I found around 150 products, which, oh my goodness, I mean, you know, in 2011, people looked at this slide and they were like, my God, 150 products, how will you ever keep track of them all? Um, you know, but yeah, it was very much as, you know, an exhibit to just say, hey, look, you're becoming dependent on a lot of technology. It might be a good idea to have some people who, uh, you know, can really run those engines uh, for you. And then I kept going back to it year over year and was just astounded by the rate at which it exploded. You know, I mean, I went from 150 to like 300 and then 1,000 and then 2,000 and 4,000. And, you know, pretty much every year I would publish that, people would say, okay, this is, this is just crazy. This has to consolidate it. No way it's gonna get any bigger. And, you know, part of me was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. This is kind of wild. On the other hand, like, all these forces of, you know, just it becoming easier and easier for people to create software. There being so much demand, you know, within the marketing community for new ways to like, you know, uh, take advantage of new channels or new tactics or, you know, take advantage of new technology in interesting ways. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of was a perfect storm that allowed it to grow to what was last year, 8,000 uh, solutions we actually, we kept calling it the MarTech 5,000, but, you know, it was kind of anachronistic by that point in time. So uh, just as uh, uh, businesses need an end-to-end -end solution to compete, digital marketers need tools to attract, nurture, and convert awareness to consideration, evaluation, and transactions online. And uh, there are literally thousands now of marketing technology solutions, and you actually categorize them uh, by advertising and promotions, content and experience, social and relationships, commerce and sales, data and management. And I imagine it's probably tough to fit some of them into those categories because they probably leak out into other categories as well, yeah? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would say categorization was always the hardest part of that uh, project uh, for that exact reason. I mean, you know, and and, and actually, I'm very sympathetic uh, to the fact that sometimes some of the most innovative products out there, part of the innovation they're bringing is they're not thinking about categories from an analyst perspective. They're thinking about, okay, what are the jobs to be done for a particular marketer in a particular business? And how do I create something great to help them do that? You know, and so that sort of innovative thinking, uh, I think, can be very valuable. On the other hand, <laughs> those things do get very hard to like, you know, apples to apples, you know, compare and put into categories. So um, it's definitely an imperfect art. Hey, let me ask you a really sort of basic question, because I imagine it's something you've spent a lot of time explaining to people. So you might have some really good language around this. Um, but if I was to say to you, hey, explain to my CEO why interoperability is important. Do you have sort of a greatest hits on that one? Wow. I mean, you know, you could kind of think of, you know, of business uh, as being, uh, you know, like analogous to, you know, the human body, right? You know, I mean, it's like uh, you, you, you've got, the, you know, depending on your stage of life, right, the size of your human body here. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you just have, you know, isolated fingers and toes and elbows, and there's no like nervous system, you know, to like coordinate them, or there's no like bloodstream to like, you know, actually flow nutrients through it. I mean, you're gonna end up <laughs> with that body being pretty useless. It's kind of the same thing. We've got this digital body that is, you know, you know, the modern business, and there's all these different pieces and components, and they all have a role to play. But if you can't connect like the nervous system to coordinate them or the bloodstream to like, you know, keep the data nutrients flowing between them, it, um, yeah, you know, it, it atrophies pretty quickly. That's probably kind of a weird analogy now that I think about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, for so many years at the, from the get-go, um, you know, these tools were really uh, only available to enterprise and big organizations that had the chops to be able to get them up and running. And then, of course, you know, tools like HubSpot came along and it became available to, you know, small business. Is small business a big uh, part of uh, the HubSpot uh, customer base? It is. Uh, I mean, HubSpot's really moved more to the mid-market, um, you know, as, uh, you know, most of the customers we serve, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, a fair number of smaller businesses too, particularly those that tend to be relatively technically savvy, uh, you know, or not even technically savvy, but just sort of like digital savvy, like, okay, I, this, they, they, they know they want to really leverage digital marketing, you know, and digital businesses, uh, you know, part of their go-to-market strategy. But I actually agree with you so much, though, that the possibly one of the bigger revolutions that happened here with software is because moving to the cloud just totally changed the economics uh, of this is, yeah, all these technologies that previously were only available to large enterprises, there are now incarnations of these technologies, new generations of these technologies that, yeah, are affordable for almost any business. And I think in many ways, it, it, it's like a wonderful time to be a small business because you kind of get the best of both worlds. You're, you're able to get fairly sophisticated technology but at the same time, you, you have that inherent agility, you know, that small businesses have relative to, you know, larger competitors. 
um, that, yeah, when you can really like, uh, you know, play both those cards at the same time, uh, you can do some pretty impressive work. Let's talk about small business for a second, because it's, it's an important part of, uh, of the U.S. economy. Uh, many small businesses have been hit hard by the pandemic. Um, I think I saw a stat that's by the SBA that said, you know, during a disaster or public health emergency, as many as 40 to 60% of, you know, small businesses never come back. You know, they're, they're completely gone. And if you look at, you know, what's happening now, obviously we have a huge stimulus uh, coming into the economy, but, you know, uh, unemployment is still fairly high. Uh, automation is definitely allowing companies to do more with less. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen whether or not the demand for commercial real estate will, you know, be what it once was. I mean, obviously, people are going to want to work together, but will companies want to house as many employees in the future? Who knows? Um, when you think about small business and now the fact that there are 5,000 of these apps, and it actually is possible for a small business to pivot to digital, um, how does a small business get started? Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm a jack of all trades and I'm, I'm ringing the register by day and on the internet, downloading white papers at night, trying to figure out how to automate my business, you know, where do I get the resources to help me pivot? How do I, how do I spec my stack? How do I uh, get a scope study going? I mean, what is the process by which a small business can minimize risk and, you know, maximize potential for success? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, I would certainly not recommend a new small business. A, a small business that is new to this should not read my blog. They should not look at my MarTech landscape. It will only distract them and freak them out. That is definitely not the place to start. You know, I mean, frankly, uh, you kind of setting me up here, but uh, you know, like buy a product like HubSpot. I mean, it does so much out of the box. You know, and it provides such good educational materials and things like HubSpot Academy that I really do feel like, you know, uh, solutions like that, particularly when you're just getting started, that's the best way to go. Because, I mean, so much of digital marketing, it's still at the end of the day, it isn't the technology. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do with technology, you know, but when you're first just making sure that, you know, the web experience is good, that you're able to have, you know, a list so that, you know, as, you know, customers or prospects are subscribing to you, you're able to send them good email, you know, you're, you're getting into that content marketing flow to like really carve out your niche, uh, you know, in the market. I mean, these are all things that, you know, technology helps with, but the real work is, you know, the actual content, you know, and defining this and aligning it with your business. And I think for a small business and someone that's just going through the early stages of that digital transformation, that's where I would put your energy. And then once you've got that foundation in place and it's good and it's solid, you will then start to identify opportunities like, oh, there might be this neat new thing I'd like to do over here. And that's when you can start to look at the ecosystem and you can start to look at other apps that might provide more specialized capabilities. But yeah, I, I wouldn't think about a stack as my first starting point. <laughs> so, so then you think for small business, go with some sort of vertically integrated solution that's already pre-configured and just turn on the apps you need, get started there. And then if um, one of those vertically integrated solutions 
doesn't outperform in your sector, perhaps you upgrade to best of breed there, move that into the stack and try to compete on that basis. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, and, and again, I'm speaking about HubSpot. Obviously, I know it the best. I mean, there are definitely other products out there too. But one of the things about HubSpot strategy that resonates with me is I feel like, okay, you can start with just HubSpot and the capabilities you'll get out of the box there are great. But at the point in time that you grow and you decide you do want additional capabilities that aren't in HubSpot, because HubSpot is an open platform and has this ecosystem of hundred of partners, you don't have to switch to some whole new like foundational platform. You can now just sort of extend and add on. Uh, and so when you're making that early choice, I, I, I would look at that dimension of the product you're choosing just to make sure that, hey, listen, I want something simple and easy uh, today, but I also kind of want to make sure that, you know, I've got the room to grow uh, uh, in the future. So, uh, you know, in the digital age, the fast eat the slow, right? Those organizations that can fulfill customers' expectations as easily as customers can place orders, right, on the front end, on the back end, are the ones that typically outperform. So that obviously means not just a front end stack, but a back end stack, ERP as well, enterprise resource planning applications, which are HR and financial planning and uh, um, bill of materials, all, all the type of things that go into um, fulfilling customer demand. Talk to us a little bit about the difference between marketing software and ERP. Yeah, well, uh, the marketing software is definitely my uh, area of expertise, um, but I think you framed it well that, you know, kind of if you think of CRM as being like the heart of the front office, uh, you know, ERP is very often the heart of the back office. And for a long time, actually, those two systems weren't very well integrated. Um, you know, I mean, they were different buyers, they had different needs, they kind of lived in their own world. But as we become more and more pure digital businesses or certainly digitally powered businesses, yeah, I mean, it's so incredibly important then to look at like, okay, how do I start to connect these two systems together? Uh, and so we're seeing a lot more integrations uh, between front office and back office and HubSpot. Um, and I expect that's gonna be something that'll just be like a standard requirement moving forward. What are some of the ERP integrations that HubSpot has? Let's see. There's integrations to NetSuite. There's integrations to Intuit. There's um, uh, we got a company that provides integrations to Sage. Um, yeah, and, and and there's actually starting to be some really interesting disruptive players in the ERP space that. You know, I mean, a lot of the ERP companies out there are some of the large ones that have been around a long time. Um, but yeah, sort of the same dynamic that you saw in MarTech where, you know, there was a whole wave of like new startups and new innovators. Uh, you're starting to see more of those uh, also in the back office world as well. We're talking to Scott Brinker. He is the vice president of platform ecosystem at HubSpot. Stay with us. People who are struggling to compete online come to me for help, and they're usually confused about why they can't generate new business online. Most of them have a website and are doing content marketing and social media, but it's not working. When they come to me, they think they need a better website or more followers. They mention companies like Shopify, 
Grubhub and Peloton, who are killing it online. And they wonder what those guys do differently. If you want to know why some digital companies outperform, get my book, The Digital Pivot, and find out what it takes to build a modern revenue engine. You can listen to the first chapter for free at digitalpivotbook.com. The Digital Pivot explains how to stack business value with digital technology by focusing on fundamentals first. The book maps out a framework for competing online by taking a sequential approach to owned, shared, and earned media outreach. And it also unlocks positioning opportunities for PR and marketing professionals who want to help their clients win online. The Digital Pivot is available as a hardcover, ebook, and audiobook, and you can download the first chapter free at digitalpivotbook.com. We're back with Scott Brinker, the Vice President of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot. Um, Scott, let's talk a little bit about um, competing in a data-driven world for small business, because as Kaifu Lee artfully wrote in his book, um, uh, what, was our, what was his book's name again? Um, AI Superpowers. There's no data like more data. So, I mean, if that's the case, how can small business ever compete with the likes of Amazon? Well, I mean, again, I think relevant data is arguably even more valuable than just more data, you know. Uh, And so I think the question becomes like, okay, for your customers and the engagements that you have with them, are you able to collect over time a set of data that really helps you serve them better than anyone else. Um, You know, I mean, again, it can be as simple as, you know, like the, uh, you know, the restaurant uh, down the street that, uh, you know, we like to go to, you know, once they get to know me and they know my orders and they're able to just say, oh, okay, yep, you want the usual. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Oh, we know you'd like X, you know, this week we've got this special for Y. Oh, that's perfect. That's awesome. I mean, you know, it's really that same concept, you know, just slightly larger scale. Um, And so as long as you're finding the data that really helps you be relevant and useful to your customers. That's important. Um, You know, and also, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to think about, you know, there's a lot of data that's available on, uh, you know, like these companies that essentially specialize in things like, you know, buyer intent, uh, you know, companies like Bombora or even like G2 or things like this, where, um, you know, they're not uh, looking to encroach on any like, you know, privacy issues here, but like, hey, if I see someone from business X is doing like a comparison for software, you know, on this site here, can I send a signal that's associated with that uh, account so that those sorts of companies who are competing there in account-based marketing, you know, can leverage that data to be able to, you know, uh, change, yeah, you know, the cadence of who they're reaching out to. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of cool things you can do today without being Amazon. Meaning is that the, is that the intersection of data sets. So, you know, it's important to have one dashboard where you can see what's going on so you can compare this to that and, and, and pivot and find out, you know, where the, where the meaningful business insights are. Um, if you 
were talking to someone who was on a best of breed stack and um, they're using GA4, Google Analytics 4, and they come to you and they say, you know what, Scott, my data just it doesn't look right. I just, I know I need to improve it. I need a marketing ops person who can get in there and figure out how to get my GA4 reporting correctly. How do I find someone? I can't afford someone full-time. Where do I go? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a tremendous number of agencies and consultants that, uh, you know, specialize in these solutions. Um, like I know in the HubSpot universe, something like 40% of our customers, um, you know, are working with one of our like solutions partners or agency partners, uh, you know, for this exact reason. It's because, you know, I mean, the service providers who just do this day in and day out and they get to do it across a whole range of clients, it's just incredibly efficient for them to be able to come in and say, okay, listen, we've seen this before. We can show you how to get the value out of it. Uh, you know, a lot of these services can be very on-demand driven. Like, you know, you might have an initial engagement with them uh, and then, yeah, you can be fine on your own. And then if like a year from now you, you have other questions, you want to bring them back in, uh, you can do that. It's, um, it, it, it is a very good model for uh uh, companies that are going through this transformation and just, first of all, can't necessarily hire all these people on their own because they wouldn't really even be able to afford it. And then, frankly, they wouldn't even need it. They wouldn't need a full-time staff for that because once they get set up and running and they're operating in their cadence, you know, the, the, their, their needs are considerably less. As um, more and more companies look to align sales, marketing, and customer service uh, into sort of a revenue operation, um, and we see uh, these RevOps folks sort of take over for marketing ops and sales ops and whoever's supporting service, um, how do you think that will change marketing strategy? Well, I think... Definitely connecting these elements of the customer experience is huge, you know, and it's, when you think about it, it's been kind of strange, you know, how long we allowed these things to kind of operate in their silos, you know, and they would do their, their throw it, throw it over the wall, handoff, you know, and I guess that was okay for a certain stage of, uh, you know, digital evolution. But um, yeah, at this point in time, I mean, for so many businesses, the experience people have on marketing touch points, the experience they have when they're talking to someone in sales, the experience they have when they are a customer and they need some sort of support or help. I mean, these things get so entwined um, that I think for a company that's embracing revenue operations and really looking to say, okay, how do we view this as a complete system, you know, and not just a series of disconnected silos, um, yeah, I, I think it opens up a much broader thing of uh, the lifetime value of customers and how you optimize the strategy for that. Do you do you think uh, how do you think it will impact HubSpot? Do you think because um, does Hub does HubSpot have the trifecta? Are you guys sales? Do. We, uh, yeah, we're we're loving this like move. Yeah, so we have a marketing hub, sales hub, service hub. Um, you know, and actually, we've been doing a lot of uh, work with uh, you know the RevOps community uh, lately, just because. Yeah, I mean that whole movement just feels like such a great opportunity for people to get more value out of these connected systems. Does it eliminate the need for marketing ops? You know. 
It depends. Um, you know, there's a range of things that people do in marketing ops. Um, you know, I think certainly the data element of what's happening, um, you know, from a revenue ops perspective, just makes a lot of sense to standardize across all of these different functions. Um, depending on the nature of the marketing ops role, you know, there might be other activities that were a little bit more specialized. Like, I mean, the actual building out, you know, of certain experiences, um, you know, certain, uh, you know, customer workflows, things like this that might have been very specific, you know, to the way marketing operates, like the way it operates a webinar or the way, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, executing a campaign at scale. Um, that's just kind of different. Like there isn't an analogy, analogy to that necessarily in sales or customer success. Um, but yeah, you know, whether you still have someone in quote unquote marketing ops, or it's just one of the specializations of someone in the broader revenue ops, I think there's flexibility right now for like, oh, well, you know, which model works best for your business? What size are you at? You know, who are the actual people involved? Um, I mean, for small businesses, it might be, you know, half of one person's job uh, doing all of this. So, <laughs> hi, I'm the revenue ops department. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things we hear a lot from uh, people talking about uh, artificial intelligence is, you know, artificial intelligence will work best as a human-assisted technology, that it will not replace technology. And, I mean, you've been at this long enough now to have looked at it from many different perspectives. So, uh, just sort of as a, as a parting thought, uh, you know, when do you ignore the data and trust your gut? Yeah, I don't know that it's so much ignoring the data, but it's seeking the context for the data um you know i mean so i'll give i'll give you an example um uh so i actually uh, uh, uh not two, 10 years or so ago like my first uh, business was very much around conversion optimization uh you know in marketing and conversion optimization right in the early days is like okay well i'm gonna have this special ad that i'm gonna you know have a keyword put a special ad in google for it i'm then gonna take it to a particular landing page with an offer and i've got a conversion rate there and i a b test it you know and one of the things that you know I always felt very passionate about is you had to be careful of local optimization. And by that, I mean like, okay, listen, if I want to juice the conversion rate of a landing page, all I have to do is say like, Hey, give us your name and number and we will solve all your problems, you know, sign up here. Awesome. Amazing. You know, and of course people do it and you get the conversion rate and it's great, you know, but then on the other side, you don't actually fulfill that. Right. I mean, there's, you know, no way you can, you know, and so those people then become, they feel you, you know, cheated them, you know, they're never going to become your customer. That actually the whole campaign was a negative impact, you know, on your business but up at the top of the funnel, man, the conversion rate looked like, oh my goodness, you guys are heroes, you know? And to me, that's that's kind of a microscopic example of just the challenge we have, you know, with AI and data is a lot of times it's, it, it is a slice of what's happening and it kind of requires that human judgment still to say like, okay, What's the what's the bigger context uh, in which that data you know is coming to us, Scott? Uh, when do you expect to bring back um, uh, the conference, uh, Martech? 
Well, we've been continuing to do it virtually. We just did a virtual one this week, actually. Um, I don't know if we'll be back in person in the fall, um, but certainly hoping to uh, be back uh, in the spring of next year, if not. How was the virtual one? What Any lessons learned you can share? Um, so, yeah, my, actually, my whole focus for my keynote was on uh, AI and no-code uh, systems because, yeah, I, I, I don't I, the way you framed it of AI being an assist, I think is actually very much where we're at. And boy, it's actually really cool where we're at right now. Like some of these tools out here for a non-technical marketer, they just give you these these superpowers, uh, you know, that are um, yeah. It's 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 a it's a really sweet time. So I uh, my whole keynote was going through a whole bunch of examples of that. In terms of the actual management of the conference, any lessons learned on sort of, you know, virtualizing an event that had been a real world event, what worked, what didn't? You know, uh, we did uh, these, uh, in addition to the sessions, we would then do these like uh, Google Meet Hangouts, you know, after the sessions uh, for affinity groups. And that was good. I mean, I think that's one of the things we've all realized that you know, we miss, you know, from real world events is the content, you can kind of get the content virtually. And, you know, it's, it's almost the same thing. But it's that networking and serendipity, you know, with peers and those conversations that just sort of happen, you know, over a beer, or, you know, lunch, you know, a box lunch at a table. I mean, this is kind of where the, the informal knowledge network like really, uh, you know, comes to life. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's very hard to recreate that, uh, you know, in the virtual environment today. But, you know, I think the closer you can try and like get to that, um, the better. Yeah, there's no periphery. I wonder if, um, if you know, if, if VR goes mainstream and we can be in a virtual environment, I wonder if that would introduce that serendipity to a virtual event. <laughs> yeah, Ready Player One meets uh, Martech. I love it. <laughs> Scott Brinker, Vice President of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot and Editor at Chief Martech. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Eric. Take care. To master B2B lead generation, you can listen to the first chapter of my new book, The Digital Pivot, for free at digitalpivotbook.com. <laughs>